Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Tunes Mate number 74. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And Ray, this round had a chance to catch up with Brian Lissick. Now, you may remember, Brian's been on the podcast two times, so I joked with him that he is now in the three-time club. And I think it's because he just has just general love of music, Ray, just like Tunes Mate. I know that goes through us all the way through everything we do. I know, I think about your post. What is it? The um, I always mess with this up. It's like something new, something old, something borrowed. Is that the thing? Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. <laughs> yes. Where that one. you tie in all these different things and it's because you love music. Yeah, that's what, it, I mean, that was the whole inspiration of that. It was like, take another idea and try to interweave a theme. And, and you know, that's the thing about music, right? There's all these themes that go across songs and we we can cross genres and time periods and and so yeah that i mean that's really what we're all about here and so that's kind of the 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 cool thing right like you said brian the third time on the podcast and you know he's putting out new stuff him being back is related to that but i think you're exactly right just this sort of love of music all i can say is let's just cut to brian when we'll come back we'll break it down but brian always brings it he always makes me laugh, and he always has something to share about the love of music. All right, everyone, I have the honor of once again being joined by Mr. Brian Lissick. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> how are you? Great. Just to let you know, you've now, I think, officially broke the Toonsmate podcast record. You are a, a three-time podcast wow. guest. I am honored. I'm like... Uh... Pamela Anderson, I got the most Playboy covers, huh? Cool. Yeah, we're going to have to get you some, I don't know, some award or something to uh, decorate your studio somewhere. But I think yeah. the biggest thing that probably decorating your studio right now is this new album, new record. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, the new I, record. Get it. it's I get it. I get it. I could be wrecking you already. A little uh, tongue-in-cheek there. But most of your albums, this was going to ask you about that. Most of your albums, looking back, have had some kind of, I don't want to call it like a tongue-in-cheek kind of a thing, but is that just kind of a tradition of your album titles? It's become that, uh, because what fun is it, you know, calling your album, you know, I Love You, or, you know, Songs of Faith and Hope, or some stupid thing like that. So, you know, I mean, it. you might as well have some fun with it. It's, it's probably goes back to, you know... Uh, big star doing September girls and spelling it with a mm-hmm. U and you know, that whole, you know, I figured you go to Chicago route, you know, Chicago 12, oh, 14, the, 15, yeah, or 40. that, you know, just, you know, do you, well, right. You might as well make it interesting. I, I, it's kind of funny though, when the, when the archeologists dig up all my uh, records at the, you know, in a hundred years or whatever, they'll, uh, you know, probably the one thing everybody will talk about is why did he give them such silly titles? <laughs> We'd well, be kind they, of known for that. Why does he do that? It's like I don't know. People talk. Well, they make me it. laugh. I mean, I, yeah, I yeah, good. look at the title and I, I go, okay, well, let's let's take a look what's inside. So I think it's definitely proven yeah. its point. Yeah, and... you wouldn't believe some of them don't make the cut. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> there's a whole bunch. Oh man, <laughs> that are not fit for human consumption. You know, even we have our limits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Well, that'll be the uh, east side uh, cut you put out someday there's always that type of release that happens in someone's career whether it's prince or whoever yeah, right, else i mean right, right. 
what was it recently they released a whole album of of prince cuts and you know he probably or sorry the artist formerly known as but he probably never yeah, yeah. as wild as dreams ever wanted that released oh i well you know i don't know with prince though it, I, it seems to me like he probably wanted them released but wanted them to released at a certain time at a certain time in a certain place he was pretty uh seemed to be pretty uh you know precious about when he you know when his stuff came out and stuff so yeah i don't suppose he uh figured in the whole uh you know what's going to come up posthumously you know into the equation but i you know he put out so much he didn't hide much when he was alive you know he put out a song every day when he was alive so i don't think he you know i don't think it's offensive to him to keep putting stuff out if they can find it you know and uh well he definitely has good. it i mean he's you know wrote some of the hits for some other people prince you know right right oh he pretty much wrote the 80s i'm finding out that it's like oh yeah that was co-written by print between him and michael mcdonald you know they pretty much had a hand right. in everything that was written in the 80s <laughs> this is true now have you ever written anything for anybody else has always been yourself no, I mean, they're, uh, my brother's band, uh, let me think if there's anybody else. My brother's band up in New York, he plays in a country band up in New York, and they covered one of my songs years ago. But I, no, nobody's commissioned me to, uh, I don't have, uh, it's funny, I was at a Don Dixon concert not a couple of weeks ago, and, and he was talking about, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, he wasn't bragging, but it was just part of the conversation, but on stage banter but you know different people who had cut his records and it's like well you know uh you know joe cocker cut this one and you know the counting crow you know i did this one with the counting crows and this and that and i'm thinking man nobody ever nobody ever cut one of my tracks yet that because i to me i think that would be kind of like the coolest or the biggest form of flattery you know you can do your own records agreed yeah you know you do those anyway it's just because it's your creative out stuff but if somebody sees it and goes i want to i want to do that too mm-hmm. i think that i wish you know i think that'd be a great thing but no so far no <laughs> well maybe a new album i mean let's let's go through it because i i was going down at track by track i know it's been out a little yeah. bit but i think now that the your yeah, general we, public we, has we, been able to go through October, it so. there's so much on here i mean I, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at you know going down the track list the couple that jumped out to me i mean and there's a bunch on here but didn't mean what's the story yeah, behind that one that's uh it's possibly the oldest song on the record believe it or hmm. not when my um guitar player rob myers and i played together geez i don't know like back in the early 90s and it was just you know we never really got anything too much off the ground but we always have hung out and played and you know, he's fixed my guitars and, and different things. So Rob's always been mm-hmm. around. And now he's officially, you know, a guitar player. And dude's got the best tone of, on guitar. You know, sometimes, you know, we have that faces kind of thing where sometimes one of us goes left and the other one goes right. But as far as like the tone of the guitars, it's it's like the coolest sounding lineup in that sense that I think I've ever had. And, um, but he wrote i guess it's the intro and the chorus the whole you know that whole part that it starts with and then and then you know becomes the chorus and he had that written with some words and you know pretty much um anti-governmental um angry rock and roll rebel stuff you know but basically 
commentary on the ineptitude of the government, <laughs> you know, and I just kind of you know expanded on that concept and, and wrote the verses and it all, it was weird because I, we were practicing the song and, and I think I kind of wrote the music to the verses too. I can't really remember. And uh, it was very, you know, going back to Rob and my beginnings music wise, you know, we were, you know, first getting together in the height of the grunge era, you know, so it's got kind of that, that feel to it, which I think is cool. You know, it's our, yeah. you know, Alice in Chains or something. <laughs> so it's not detuned, but it's, you know, but we were working on the song. He had the chorus. I had the musical verse and I had to run off and do something. And I literally like on my way to this next thing I was going to, I, I came up with words for the verses and kind of pulled the car alongside the road and texted him. It's like, what do you think of this? And he's like, oh man, that's exactly what I had in mind when I wrote the chorus wrote the chorus you know so it's um it was very serendipitous and about the closest thing to a co-write that i ever do you know because it was i don't don't have a whole lot of luck with uh co-writes the way people usually Mm -hmm. envision co-writes like you know you take a line then i'll take a line you know you get a line and i'll get a poll whatever i don't work well that way you know it's usually i have a a whole bunch of lyrical ideas and I spit them all out and then it's like, do they work or don't they? So it was neat that, you know, he kind of had, you know, a third of it or a half of it written and I wrote the other half. And, uh, and like I said, it, it musically, it's really cool that it kind of sounds like it comes from what Rob and my uh, beginnings were, you know, musically as well. And then it, and originally it was supposed to have a slide guitar solo, but I kept trying, that is me on that, solo part and uh i kept trying to use a slide and i'm still trying to figure out how to use a slide so it's actually just it's a slide part minus the slide it's just my <laughs> finger <laughs> you know so so there's a lot of really neat stuff going on in that song and, and i it might be pound for pound my favorite one on the record and it's i thank you for allowing me to talk about it because nobody ever mentions that one whenever they talk about the album they, they that jumped out to me i and, i um, exactly what you're talking about for some reason i listened to the thing probably four or five times right when it first came out and then when i came back and you know been re-listening to it that that was the song that i i kept thinking about there had been something special behind there and was there anything else different with the recording of this album you know obviously you're co-writing but Um, was that it yeah i mean we recorded it at the same place that we Oddly enough, the same place we recorded the live album mm. because it's a it's a music venue, the Rialto Theater. But you know, and obviously they have the the uh, recording gear to to record live shows, but they also you know have a whole studio in there to record you know studio albums. And you know, we had the um, you know the live album Hotsy Totsy in the can, and you know, twelve songs or something on that. And there were ones like Monk and and. Uh, song that was sights on the live album and got renamed billy the kid on the new album on the studio album and it just seemed like i don't know i don't feel like we're finished yet so i it's almost you could almost put those two albums together and call it a album an album you know so i guess the idea was just hey we're comfortable in this space in the studio and you know, we trust the engineer, Nate Vale. Let's make a studio album where we just made our live album, <laughs> you know? So it's become kind of like, you know, 
Al's Diner on Happy Days or something. I don't know. It's like our hangout. You know? And uh, <laughs> it felt comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I can sense <laughs> that you kind of had that same vibe. And I love that you just mentioned Monk because that was one of my faves off the live. And now there's the studio yeah. version. Yeah. Yes. Um, and and you know the the uh, that that's how I um, that's how I tell my real diehard fans. You know, I've had you know some people mention uh, or a a person at least you know catch that uh if you go back about three albums to uh curtis interrupted us i when we wrote monk i didn't have any lyrics but it's like man i gotta you know let's demo this thing because the song's so good this is even before the live album so i just started singing the words to um a song called chaos is a friend of mine <laughs> off of uh curtis interrupted us so it's the first time mm-hmm. you know and then i there's different words later on in Monk. You know, actually, the, the chorus came from something that um, our drummer, Martin Flanoy, blurted out at a practice. And I'm like, oh, that's got to be a song, you know, the, the hook. I, you know, I'll, I'll be polite and I won't curse on the air here, but, you know, the hook, <laughs> you know. And, and he was flabbergasted that, like, we came back the next day to practice. And he's like, I can't believe you made a song out of that. It's like, well, you know, I'm a songwriter. I can make a song out of anything. But I kind of cheated on that one lyrically because I, I, it's, you know, you're asking about if anybody's ever, you know, covered my songs, but that's the first time I've ever blatantly plagiarized myself. But <laughs> see, know, so, so there you go. <laughs> I was being, I was either lazy or I was so excited about how great the song was. I just needed some lyrics and, you know, la 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 wasn't working, so I threw some. You know, previously That's like the Beatles, right? You know, the scrambled eggs. You know, just uh, how you replace right. You know, I mean, so probably it was one of those. Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, these are probably just working lyrics until I can come up with something. It's like, nah, it's working. So let's just keep it going until it stops working. So, but yeah, I'm glad you like that song too because that's I, every every one of these I go. Oh, I think yeah, it's my favorite one. But. I was just glad there was a studio version because I know you had talked about you wanted to go and do it after you did the live version. So it was cool. Mm-hmm. That you followed up that. And then yeah. the one that another one that jumped out oh, yeah. to me was the better than nothing. And I think I texted you when I first listened to it, I was mm-hmm. like, wait, what's going on there? There's a lot of different instrumentation. How did that come together? Well, the, the interesting thing about that is that I do, or I have, you know, over the years written a lot of songs that sort of follow that sort of, I don't want to say jazzy mm-hmm. or, 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 I mean, it's kind of R and B sort of a thing, but I mean, even if you look at, you know, on the, uh, goodbye, stupid world records, you know, uh, overboard was sort of that kind of a song, mm-hmm. you know, so I've written these R and B type songs, but I've never really gone the full Monty with it. We wanted to put horns in it. And I was kind of just thinking of doing a, you know, a, uh, seventies cop show sounding mm-hmm. song and Martin, uh, knew, uh, Ian Early from Cherry Pop and Daddies to put saxophone on it. And then um, Steve Nordgrove, who's been my bass player forever, he knew a uh, trumpet and a trombone guy who played in a in an Elvis tribute band. And so I went to see this Elvis tribute band somewhere down in Ashland or someplace. And it's like, man, these guys are great. So John Bolin, the trumpet player, and Stefan Mazur is the um, is the uh, trombone guy, but but John and I actually sat down. And I kind of hummed him this part that I thought, and it's like I had thought of, and it's like you know, and kind of have a harmony above here, and you know, I thought I was creating some 
masterwork of music because it was the first horn part I'd ever quote unquote mm-hmm. written. You know, and then John and um, and Ian Early, you know, look at it and go, "Yeah, that's pretty basic. We can do that." <laughs> so when the professionals come in the room, you know, you, uh, you you turn them loose. But it was really, it was, you know, for better or worse, I couldn't get them all in the same room at the same time just mm-hmm. because of scheduling. And so we ended up with this thing where it's like they were playing with each other, but not playing off of each other. And the fact that yeah, I can remember when Ian left his session. He's like, man, sounds good. Have fun mixing it, <laughs> you know, because there was a lot of stuff there. So I, I you know, I, I tat, you know, I pat myself and, and Nate on the back for that one because we actually, I think, I feel like made it sound like as close to a, a live band in the room as possible, you know. So it's a, and, and like I said, my whole idea was to, to, um, to the theme for Beretta or something. And so I think we pulled it off pretty well. But, you know, don't have Sammy Davis Jr. singing on it or, you know, or uh, Robert Blake starring in it or anything. But otherwise, it's pretty uh, it's pretty close representation of a 70s TV show. I oh, it stood show. out. It's, <laughs> it's interesting how you talked about one was more kind of a flashback of the earlier days. This one kind of has a... Yeah maybe another flashback in a certain stuff way. And then I'm looking at the title track. So you got Billy, the kid. And then the last one is Alex Chilton. Yeah. Was there any specific reason why yeah, yeah. you started the album and ended the album on people's names? Um, not, I mean, I realized it when we decided upon it and went, Oh, that's interesting. You know, part of, uh, part of the reason that Alex got the, got the tail end of, of the of the record and we had released it as a single earlier you know mm-hmm. before the record all you know the whole album came out but if you notice at the very beginning of it martin says man after this one i'm done like it had been a long session and uh so i just thought that was funny it's like that's got to be the last song you know <laughs> if he says that at the beginning of it and then you know putting billy the kid at the beginning i i you know, I, I went through, even with just a seven song record, you go through all kinds of different, um, you know, what should come, you know, sequencing, what should come first, what should come second. At some point I started thinking, man, this thing might be kind of cool if we started out with the big, long five minute opus, you know, with the big guitar solo and stuff in it. Um, and I was like, ah, but I don't know if that's a good idea, you know, and, uh, sort of simultaneously Mike Farley who's my publicist he goes man I love Billy the Kid you know you got to put that out as a single and and then and Rob goes I think we should start the record with Billy the Kid and I'm like okay well sold so they it was more you know which songs sound good going together than mm-hmm. than it had to do with you know I'm going to bookend it with people's names you know but uh you know, and, and Billy the Kid started out life as a song called Sights, as you know. We just changed the name because we had a new album, I guess. <laughs> maybe that's what I'll, maybe that's what my next one will be a bunch of old songs of mine. I'll just give them different <laughs> titles. <laughs> and then, of course, Alex Chilton is a is a replacements classic. So you know, I don't know. You'd have to talk to uh, Paul Westerberg about uh, or Tommy Stinson about 
why they decided to write about Alex Chilton, but it's a great damn song. So yeah, and I I went back and yeah. I knew of Alex Chilton, but I was trying to research about the significance, and then it dawned on me your replacements because you had spoke about that in our first interview, how that was one of your influences. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I'd have, you know I'd have probably done you know it in the. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that it was Rob's idea to cover that song at all. You know, if I was going to cover a replacement song, I'd probably do something like Goddamn Job or, mm-hmm. you know, Gary's Got a Boner or something. I don't know, something, but, <laughs> but uh, something funny. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, at some point he was, uh, he, we had a show and he goes, we should do uh, a cover of Alex Chilton. And uh, I'm like, oh, cool. I know that. And I, had mistaken it for another song. I thought I was thinking left of the dial. And, you know, so I start playing left of the dial. He starts playing Alex Chilton and he's like, what are you doing? So he had to kind of, it's like, Oh, I don't know that one. So he had to show it to me. And, (laughs) and then um, it started to become a part of the set. And when we went into the studio, he's like, Hey, you know, I had no intention of doing a cover song for an album. And he's like, we're going to do Alex Chilton. It's like, yeah, I guess probably we should. So we did, and everybody loves it, you know. So it's apparently we did an okay job on it, and uh, and it's a real fun song to play because there's a lot of, a lot of chords in it. Yeah, that's what they, <laughs> always covers are challenging because we did an episode on tunes made a while back on some of the best covers, and we always talked about if you're going to do a cover, mm-hmm. you have to do it either justice or put a different spin on it, and I think you did that with your cover. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know which one we did because I, I'll tell you right now, if anybody tries to play our version, we are playing it in the absolute wrong key. We're, we're playing in standard tuning and, and the replacements are never in standard tuning. I don't know what tuning they're in. But it, you know, people recognize it when they hear it. Oh, Alex Chilton, look, look what they're playing. So we must have come close enough. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Brian, I mean, once again, I think you went through, you did a, great job on the album and so for you i know we're it's getting close to the end of the year here what are some of your future plans are you yeah i mean obviously i know you're you've got a couple gigs coming around the corner but i do you yeah yeah it's um that's kind of it you know i mean the um it's funny the more people i talk to it's kind of like you know you um you try and hit those benchmarks that are like benchmarks these mm-hmm. days, like, you know, how many uh, people know me on TikTok or how many people, you know, follow me here or follow me there or whatever. And to be quite honest, it's like, yeah, sure. I want, you know, it'd be cool to have, you know, all of a sudden wake up one morning and see, Oh, 50,000 people are following me on Spotify. That's really cool. But then does that, lead to anything else you know you're not making a lot of money or any money doing that you know and you know so i'm doing all those things you're supposed to do but it's ironic to me that it's like the the final frontier is has become the first frontier is just book gigs out there and tour yeah support you you know and uh and that's that's and that's really the plan i mean i i've been able to creatively avoid it in recent years and go um yeah, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, go after the social media thing or something. But it's really, you know, I, you know, to be brutally honest, it, it's, and, and we've, you and I have probably, we've talked so much, we've probably talked about this before, but, you know, if, uh, 
you know, you, I'm willing to play the game, but if uh, chasing social media followers is what it means to be a musician, you know, I'd rather, you know, in the words of Ricky Nelson, I'd rather drive a truck, you know? Yeah, because playing music's about playing music. And, you know, I'm itching to get out there and play in front of as many people as want to see me. And maybe even a few that don't know they want to see me, I'll introduce myself to them. You know, that's really it, you know, just, you know, any way you can put the music in front of people and hopefully they enjoy it. I'm glad you enjoy this record. It was sort of a departure for us, this record, because, you know, that, that harder rock thing has always been there. But I mean, this one pretty much blew the oh, doors. Oh, it totally did. Pretty, yeah. And I, that's, yeah, I have a slant, or I tend to uh, favor that for some reason. I don't know if it's just uh, the music I grew up on and. I think it's interesting you you took a yeah. different approach here and and that's we were just talking about this on uh the last podcast is that it seems like musicians mm -hmm. it's all about reinventing yourself evolving and that's I could definitely tell that you've put a lot of effort into creativity on this last yeah, either either evolved or, yeah either evolved, <laughs> evolved or devolved in this one I can't figure it out because no because it's um you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I've tried a bunch of other stuff. Why don't I just do this thing that I kind of started out doing? And a lot of people have been like, man, that's great. You should make a bunch of records like that. It's like, you kidding me? That's like, that's, that's been there forever. I just, I just don't wear that outfit too much anymore, you know? And it's like, oh man, you know, so, you know, I guess at the end of the day, you know, maybe I'm Gene Vincent, you know, I just keep doing bebop a lula for the rest of my career. And that's, and give the people what they want, you know, so I, but I'm pleasantly surprised because at least it wasn't, you know, at least I didn't do a polka record and people go, there you go. That's what you should, there, there's your niche. <laughs> you should be a polka player, you know, you know, so I'm, so I'm glad that people like the stuff that I, that I agree that I'm best at. So as soon as I, as soon as I get past this head cold, you know, we're going to be doing some rock around. I look forward to seeing you <laughs> out there. Now, as you know, here at Toonsmate, we have a couple of traditions. Uh, the latest one we have is Title Title, and we have the song is Stay. Oh, okay. So we have a couple different artists. I want to okay. see which way you, you would sway here, Brian. So the first one is the one okay. Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs. So you know that, that one's been done mm -hmm. by Jackson Brown and the whole gang. Yeah, yeah. You know what it is, yeah. And then yeah. the 90s, there was a group by Shakespeare's sister. I don't know if you remember that one, but it was called Stay. I, I know the and then you too okay. had a Stay song. Now, it, it was in parentheses. I think it was uh, So Close, So Far Away. Then you come to okay. recent times, there's Zed and Elisa Cara had a song called Stay. And then just two years ago, it was the Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber had a song called stay where's your stay vote okay oh maurice and the zodiacs yeah it's classic well, you know I, I selected the same one it's classic in all defense to uh you know in all due respect to uh the beebs and those guys a couple of those i don't even i mean i'm sure i recognize them if i heard them but i'm not sure if i even know them but yeah definitely you know not even the not even the jackson brown version original, the original yeah just thing. there's something about it i like all that I like stuff that sounds like it was, you know, recorded on a street corner, you know, and, you know, 
whether those things were those doo-wop things were recorded on a street corner or not they made you feel like they were and that's you know i uh no matter what uh kind of music it is i like to picture like a uh you know like a burning can and a bunch of guys singing around it in an alley cat. Maybe it's because I watched Shout Out Not Too Much when I was a kid. <laughs> Bowser. <laughs> yeah, bow, bow, bow. yeah, it's interesting of all the influences, <laughs> and I could tell that you just have this desire inside just to keep creating music. And I'd imagine, like you said, you've got that whole list of songs that have never been released that would probably make us smile. And so you're you're just going to yeah, keep going, yeah. sounds like great music you know i i set myself I, you know i set myself up in a recent interview and said i'm going to be doing this till i'm like willie nelson's age or something so now i have something to aspire to i guess gonna prove myself correct seeing the rocking chair with the <laughs> guitar yeah yeah just uh you know i don't know I, i'm gonna try and do it without a vaporizer but wink wink for all my willie fans out there you know what oh, i'm yeah. talking about <laughs> well, I wish you continued success. And um, I know you, you, this latest effort, everyone says, oh, the latest one's always the best. But I will tell you that, you know, just seeing everything you've been working on, I know that when you recorded this, you were relaxed. You had the same location as your last album. I can just tell it was a continuance of the live yeah. album. Like, as you said, it, it, it could have been a, the yeah. the double platinum version here yeah yeah i mean it's you know i mean there there was a thought you know going even back to the live album that uh you know zz top's got an album called fandango yeah. that was uh like half of it was part of a live show and the other half was a studio tracks and i'm like why did they do that you know but i thought about doing that with hotsy totsy it's like why don't we just take a few of these things from the show and then you know, the flip side will be the studio record. And, you know, just decided that, you know, I confuse people enough with the album titles where I confuse them <laughs> with what's inside the record. It just would have taken too much. I, I don't even understand, you know, ZZ Top, that record confuses me to this day why they did that. So, you know, scrap that idea. But in essence, that's kind of what we did is that this is kind of like one big wreck to me anyway. You know, it, it's kind of like one big record you know, that we did here in the last two years. And um, I'm glad you take it. You bring up a good point, though. I was trying <laughs> to think about that. Is is that the only album you can think of? I'm trying to think of a live album that has studio cuts still, on it. Every once in a while, they would do that back in the 70s. Like, they had to flesh out an album. And usually it was the other way around. They'd have a studio album and, you know, throw, throw on a live track. Not the other and, way. Yeah, I think there's a Bob Seger record with it with a River Deep Mountain High live version on it. And then, you know, Waylon Jennings' Dreaming My Dreams has a live Bob Wills is still the king on the end of it for some reason. I don't, you know, it made no sense to me anyway. Sell listener, albums. But, you <laughs> That's know, they why. would do that. Yeah, I, well, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, back, probably back in the 70s. It's like, oh, we'd like to get him in for one more song, but he's high. Right, so, so let's just release it. <laughs> we just do this one we already have. You know, It worked for ZZ Top. You know? Um, yeah, you know, so I, I don't really, um, or else maybe it's like, hey, we want to put out a live album, but these three songs are really the only ones that were any good at, at that show. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but it was just, uh, or maybe they just were trying something different. I don't know, but it, but that's kind of 
how I, yeah. in my own mind, see these latest two releases of ours is just, uh, you know, kind of two sides of a coin. You know? 100%. So, Well, Brian, I hope you have a great continued release of new record. And I, I appreciate you. No, I greatly appreciate it. Anything else coming up? You're always free to come back on the show. You've got the record beat now, so hey, I got a, I got I got a reputation to uphold now, so I got to keep making some records. But no, I'll no, we'll be making more because I, you know, who knows how long it'll take? But you know, I mean, we already, you know, finished a, a couple of, you know, album release type shows, and you know, the first practice, mm-hmm. Rob's like we should spend some time just jamming and coming up with new ideas. It's like, dude, we got to learn these ones we just recorded, man. But um, yeah, we've already started a couple more. So, you know, it, it's a vicious circle. There'll be a new album soon. Trust me. <laughs> well, so, I can't uh, wait. All right. Well, yeah. And um, thanks. Yeah. Brian. And like I said, thank you for your continued support. We really, really, really appreciate it. So you are welcome. Keep up the good work. All right, Ray. Well, welcome back. That was fascinating. He hit on a lot of things in this interview. I guess a couple was this idea that when you record an album, because he talked about it specifically, he said, I recorded the last album, which was a live album. And then during the time I started recording some of these tracks and then I really finished them up over the last year. But if you think about it, there aren't too many albums where one side is live and one side is studio. A lot of times it's a live album, maybe with a couple bonus cuts or or vice versa. But he did bring up the ZZ Top album, but I really couldn't think of anything else. Yeah. You know, and, and when we were talking before we, we started uh, recording here, we were talking about the ZZ Top album, and I, I looked it up, and then I remembered it was Fandango. They did that in the mid-'70s. You know, the only other album that comes to mind uh, is U2's Rattle and Hum. You know, and it's not like... Like the, the ZZ Top kind of has like a, a side that's live and a side that's studio. Rattle and Hum has like an intermix, right? So you'll have, you know, like the very first track is uh, Helter Skelter and it's a live version of it. And, you know, and they've got a, a live version of, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And, you know, some other things that are live on there. And then they've got studio tracks, you know, All I Want Is You and Angel of Harlem and all the, the sort of releases off of that album. So that's the one that comes to mind. But I think, you know, it's it's a rare thing at least, right? Usually kind of like you said, there's you're either doing a live album or you're doing a studio album and you've dedicated the cause to that but it's kind of an interesting mix you know and i always remembered and i love rattle and hums you know one of my favorite albums of all time and i always remembered how kind of interesting it was to to intermix a, a live track with a studio track and to hear that and it, they bring different kind of energies yeah and it kind of pulled you in i mean i loved rattle and hum as well and i went back and i'm glad you brought up fandango because I had, when Brian said the same thing, and I went back and I tried to see if I had it in my collection, and I know for a while I had it in vinyl, and I, I could not find it. So I had to immediately just go through and kind of pull it up on you know YouTube or somewhere. But I think it's interesting, that mindset of, well, since there are not too many albums out there, I might as well just release it this way. And that is an interesting thing about music today. You wonder how music is being released anymore. I mean, half the time there's an album drop, you get that. There's other where they'll release one single at a time up until a release date. 
it just seems like there's really no standard anymore of when and how an album and when an album is released. Yeah, the the old formulas with the digitization of music and and the way the music industry is in the internet age, you know, that the old formulas aren't there. You know, I remember growing up in the 80s and and even into the 90s. Kind of like you said, you'd release a single at a time and you'd oftentimes release one before the album and out, you know, a month or two before the album came out and then the album would come out and you'd, you know, you'd go through your series of singles and maybe it'd be only two more, you know, maybe you'd do the the thing with the really popular artists and they'd end up releasing seven or eight total or something like that. And now you still kind of have that where, you know, you'll see where songs do get released as singles or they'll promote one song at a time to radio play, but it all got released at the same time. Right. So think of like, um, you know, Taylor Swift, right. You know, in antihero comes out and that's, you know, that album and it all gets released and everybody listens to it. And, you know, it all goes top 10 on billboard hot 100 chart because that's the way that thing is, is calculated now. But, you know, there was a sort of a set of singles, right? You had Antihero and then Lavender Haze and then Karma. And, you know, you can and we can walk through this with any number of our, other artists as well. But you're right. It's different now. And, and the, the the rhythms have changed. And so folks will just release one-offs. I think of the Killers, right? They, you know, they release an album, but then they, they're constantly releasing like these one-off things like Boy a year ago, you know, or their their, their latest one, uh, Your Side of Town. They've got these, these like extra projects going on and everybody just, oh, I'm just going to release a single now, you know? And in some ways that, that harkens back to the, to the 1950s and the way things started when you released a single and that's how you get started. And then the whole notion of an album came, I mean, albums were around, but you know, the whole notion of putting these together as an album developed. And then by the mid sixties, it's, oh, we're going to release an album. And so in a way we're kind of marching back 60 years, but it really has changed things and the rhythms are very different. Yeah. And the other thing that really interested me was not only the release of it and just the approach this time. So, you know, you went back to the same place where they mixed the the last album. And this time he really wanted to, to go in and produce something that was a little more raw. And I think that's interesting. You know, we talk about this a lot on here is how are you continuing to reinvent yourself? and push yourself forward. And Brian touched on that. And I, I love the fact that as an artist, that's something that keeps you going. And we talked to a lot of artists and that seems to come up and, but it's different for each artist. I mean, we were just talking before we began about Taylor Swift, think about her Willow album. And then she comes out with a, another, you know, top 40 album anticipating your next move. Yeah. That, that's a theme we've touched on right numerous times. That idea of you want to keep your, your sound a way that your audience recognizes, right? You've, you've got an identity and you go too far from that identity. Your audience is going to be like, what the heck is this? At the same time, you've got to be changing and developing. And, and if you're putting out the, you know, kind of the same song over and over again, remember back in college. And, and I mean, this isn't really meant to be like a knock cause I still like them, but remember when uh rock set came out with like their, their next album or so, you know, and it was like, you know, that we, we all used to joke with their t- song, spending my time, I'm spending my time writing the same damn song, right? You know, because they, they kind of all had a real similar feel. And, um, and again, I like them and all, so I'm not necessarily knocking. Yeah, yeah, right. It all, you know, uh, it all had 
that they had that first album and it was huge and looked sharp, right? And then yeah, they came out with the next one, Dangerous, and they, you know they had Joyride and Fading Like a Flower, and you know, and and they hit well, and and that was part of it was that you know that was kind of it. After that, they they kind of faded. Not like a flower. Uh, they did fade, and <laughs> they did like a flower. It wasn't a Joyride anymore, and. Right. So <laughs> they, they tried to listen to their heart, but they weren't dressed for success. And so, um, right. So they, you know, but that, I mean, that's just one example, right? We know so many uh, acts and they've got a sound and it resonates for a little while. And then, you know, they've got a core fan base that continues to want to hear that sound and they do change and they do change over time, but it's hard to find a path that allows you to change the way the audience needs you to change while staying the same, the way the audience needs you to stay, stay the same. And you know, Taylor Swift is able to do it. Madonna, as you said, you know, these are folks that are able, that have been able, that have been able to do it, but it's part of it's the music musician themselves. Right. And we've talked about that before. Sometimes you, this is the way you want to go. And if the audience doesn't want to follow, you know, and you've made enough of a success that you're happy where you're at, that's what you do. And and again, part of it's just the love of music that we that we touch back on. Yeah, and that's why I definitely recommend Brian Lissick and Hard Legs, their new record is out. That's the name of it. And he always has a kind of a tongue-in-cheek name. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think it's interesting how there's some new instrumentation in here. There's a cover. There's seven tracks, but they're all really done well. And I think that's the other thing is that if you are going to put something out and you're going to be continually putting out music and that love for it, the creation of it evolving, you've got to have all those things together. And I think Brian did it. All right. Well, we will be catching up with you. We've got more interviews on the way as we got more episodes coming around the corner. We appreciate your support. And once again, for everybody here at Tunes Mate, I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And we will see you next time. <laughs>